Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophets, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people in Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men, and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may go and pay homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there and ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Well, we have this really cool opportunity that we're in church the first day of the year. I mean, it's just beautiful. And not only that, but this first day of the year, we're celebrating Epiphany. And Epiphany is one of those liturgical holidays that, uh, you know, kind of gets lost in its own language. It's very, like, churchy wording, right? Epiphany. Uh, This day actually has some incredibly historical uh, impacts on the heritage of the Christian church. This is the day in which we celebrate God being revealed to Gentiles. The first revelation of God to non-Jewish people uh, in the Christ child, in Jesus. And uh, these Gentiles are in the form of what we might know as wise men, or magi, or magi, or magi. It depends on who you ask, how you actually are supposed to pronounce that. Uh, I don't imagine any of us here speak Farsi. Is that fair to say? No? Yeah. So, uh, unless we can find a Farsi expert, we'll just call them magi for now. Uh, These wise men, these magi, we are told in Matthew's Gospel, come from the east. And where they are actually coming from is none other than Persia. Persia in the east, which is why I mentioned Farsi. (laughs) Uh, Modern day Iraq, Iran, uh, this particular area. And these wise men are Zoroastrians. Yeah, there is a good word. Zoroastrians. And now you might know a lot about Zoroastrianism if you are in our Sunday evening Bible study because we've talked about this, uh, this particular religion quite often. Zoroastrianism, uh, this particular faith, uh, is the, one of the reasons why Christianity looks the way it does today. 
many of our core beliefs comes from this uh, Middle Eastern religion. Uh, and you might know a little bit more about Zoroastrianism if you're a fan of Freddie Mercury, uh, probably the most famous Zoroastrian in our day. There are very few Zoroastrians left on the face of the earth, but much of uh, Jewish and Christian belief and even some Islamic belief still centers on this religion that looks very similar to our own. These Zoroastrians were very well known for one thing in particular during this time, astrology. They were really good astrologers. They were constantly paying attention to the stars and the movement of the stars and uh, you know everything from, if you, if, you, if you know your zodiac sign, like I'm a Leo, you can thank the Zoroastrians for that. And a little bit of Jewish influence in there as well, but that's another story. Uh, but these Zoroastrians, being so mindful of the stars, noticed something in particular uh, one evening, a very bright star. And now what's actually going on here whenever, it's, whenever they say that they have observed the star rising uh, is, is difficult to say. Because, well, we don't have very good records of astronomy back then. You know, 2,000 years ago, this is difficult to keep up with. Uh, some uh, modern astronomers believe this could have been a supernova that appeared in the sky. It's possible. Um, some people believe that this is just a fictionalization that uh, Matthew made up in order to make his story more cohesive. Uh, what it might have been, my personal belief on this, based on my own research, is that it was a very interesting conjunction of astronomical events. And a conjunction is whenever two bright objects in the sky get close enough to each other that they amplify one another's light. And approximately during this time where we could have seen Jesus' birth, nobody knows the exact date, but approximately this time, there was a very interesting conjunction that ended up happening in the Middle East. Jupiter, the planet Jupiter, Venus, and the star Regulus were all right next to each other. A three-part conjunction here. And this is very important, okay, that it would be these three, Jupiter, Venus, and Regulus. And here's why. Zoroastrians, I feel like I'm giving a lecture and I apologize. I promise we'll get to the Jesus part of all of this in a moment. <laughs> but this is important background. Remember, Zoroastrians are great astrologers and they had lore surrounding every single celestial body. Jupiter is known as the king planet. And what that means is that uh, they had this belief that anytime Jupiter was rising, that a king was being born. Regulus was known as the king star. This star, their lore around this, was that anytime this star was rising, that there was an even greater king coming into the world. And Venus is known as the deity planet. That any time this planet was rising, then God was revealing God's self in the world. So we have the king planet, the king star, and the deity planet all converging together 
in the sky. And these Zoroastrians, of course they're going to chase this down. This is an astronomical marvel. There is clearly a king who is being born that is the revelation of God, according to their lore. And so they chase down this star, coming all the way from the region of Persia to Jerusalem to figure out what is going on. And they go to Jerusalem for one particular reason. I don't know if you know this, but you can't exactly follow stars. You can. You can use them as guides and as maps, but stars don't really move the way that you know, we might envision this star is just like they have like a you know, floating ball orb of light that they're following. No, no. Uh, instead, what they're using is a particular star map that we understand as, the, uh, as part of the zodiac, which is, uh, you know, things like, are you a Cancer, Pisces, Leo, Taurus, things like this. This three-part convergence of Jupiter, Venus, and Regulus all appear in the constellation Aries. And this is important because Aries is the uh, zodiac symbol for Judea. So they go to Jerusalem because this star has appeared in Aries. So what that's telling them is their map is to take them to Judea. And of course they go to Jerusalem, the capital, in order to figure this out because that's typically where a king would come into the world, would be their ca that capital city. So they see this three-part convergence happening in Aries, which is the constellation for Judea, and they are understanding here that God is being revealed through a great king who is coming into the world in Judea. And they're going after this great king. And they get to Jerusalem, and you know, they encounter uh, King Herod uh, being there during this time. And uh, they ask, all right, where's the new king that's just been born? I haven't had any sons, you tell me. Right, so Herod's kind of freaked out here because if there's a new king that's been born, that's a challenge to his authority. And so he devises the secret plot and tells them, uh, after he brings together all of the priests uh, in the area, he tells them, go check out Bethlehem because there are certain prophecies in the Jewish text that would say that this great king, if this is a great king that's come into this world, is to be born in Bethlehem. And so they send them on their way. Now, whether or not they actually found Jesus in Bethlehem or not is up for debate. Uh, Jesus was probably a slightly older, not still an infant baby anymore. Uh, so they, it could have been that they actually found Jesus in Egypt or in Nazareth and Galilee. Uh, it's difficult to say. It also doesn't matter. What matters is that these Zoroastrians have pursued what they see as a divine sign that something marvelous is happening in the world, and they're chasing this down. And what do they encounter but the Christ child? God revealed to the Gentiles. This is why we celebrate Epiphany. All right, the lecture's over. <laughs> Epiphany uh, is a word that we get from the Greek, uh, which is um, epiphan epiphanasia. Uh, something like that, uh, which means the manifestation or the appearance. You know, whenever we talk about having an epiphany, something has manifest in our mind. There's something that has just come to us like that. Uh, but this holiday hasn't always been called epiphany. 
It used to be called theophany, which is similar to epiphany. Uh, it is a manifestation or appearance, but more specifically, it is the manifestation or appearance of a deity, a theophany. And we have encountered other theophanies throughout Scripture. But this particular theophany, this particular epiphany of the divine, uh, is different before. Other theophanies that you might be familiar with are things like the burning bush. Right? God has revealed God's self in some uh, powerful way, the burning bush. Uh, we also have um, epiphanies uh, like the pillar of cloud and fire that leads uh, the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt and to, uh, toward the promised land, to, well, really toward Mount Sinai. And it's at Mount Sinai that they receive another theophany where uh, the people want to speak with God, and so God shows up, but it's in such a powerful and violent way, as in there's like earthquakes and thunder and lightning and fire and like all of these horrible things, that the people beg Moses to never let God speak directly to them again. Can you imagine that? Yeah, it's that kind of theophany. Uh, we have a couple of other uh, points in, uh, in Scripture that we could classify as theophanies uh, in certain ways. Uh, things like Elijah on uh, Mount Carmel, and God wasn't in the fire or the wind or the earthquake, but God was in the still small voice kind of things. But this particular theophany, God revealing God's self in the Christ child is incredibly different because every other theophany, that the, every other way that God has chosen to show up for the people has been in some powerful and miraculous way. A burning bush that doesn't actually burn. A pillar of cloud and fire. I mean, can you imagine following a fire tornado through the wilderness? It's mortifying. Uh, great violent earthquakes as God is speaking with thunderous lightning burning stuff off of this mountain. Yeah, absolutely terrifying stuff and miraculous stuff, ways God is showing up. But this time, in this theophany, we see God and our world in a whole new light. Suddenly we see that God is not too big to get personal with us. Suddenly we see that God is not too powerful to be humbled in the form of a child. The Magi encounter a whole new world in their search for God incarnate. Their journey brought them first to a real king, Herod. And I put real in quotes because real as far as like human standards. But what's interesting is that their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh are not reserved for that king. Their homage is not for that king. Instead, their gifts and their homage are reserved for a child who would never step out of poverty. That's the king that they are looking to encounter. And we do spend a bit too much time focusing on their gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And there is some theological significance to all of that. But I think the most significant part of their story is their journey. They travel a great distance, following a star, simply to bring a few gifts to a child. Why would they do this? Why would they go through all of this effort for, you know, a 10-minute visit dropping off Christmas presents. 
just to return home. Well, now we have to get back into this more of the story of the Old Testament. You see, the gospel writer Matthew is very concerned with connecting the life of Jesus to the, his Jewish heritage and what the people of Israel had been through in their history. All of the gospel writers have a little bit of a different theme they focus on, and Matthew is focusing on their Jewish heritage and Jesus' connection there, Jesus as high priest, Jesus as prophet, Jesus as the epitome of the law. And one important part of Israelite history, of Jewish history, just happens to be what we call the exile. The time after uh, Israel is overthrown by the Assyrians and Judah is overthrown by the Babylonians and all of the people, all of the Jewish people are sent into exile and sent into captivity into foreign lands. While there, the Persian Empire rises up and overthrows the Babylonian Empire and King Cyrus takes the throne and King Cyrus, who by the way gets called Messiah, uh, King Cyrus of Persia ends up letting all of the Jewish people, if they want, return home. But for a time, they were in Persia. And many of those uh, Jewish people chose to stay in Persia. Not all of the Jews went back to Israel. Many of them stayed. And so anytime you have a group of people who settle in an area their culture begins to spread. And with their culture, their religion and their beliefs. And with that come the prophecies that one day there would be a Messiah, a king born of the line of David who would be born in Bethlehem of Judea, who would be God's representative of work in the world to restore humanity to God's self. And all of this lore, all of this prophecy, all of this culture is, being, is, is inhabiting the land of Persia alongside the Zoroastrians, who have a very, very shockingly similar faith to the developing Jewish and soon-to-be Christian faith during that time. And so they hear this prophecy. They know about this. And once they see the sign in the stars... Jupiter, Venus, Regulus, showing up in the constellation Aries. They're off. They want to make this trek because they have had the past 500 years of this legend growing amongst their people, and they want to see it fulfilled. They make this journey because of prophecies like in Isaiah 63, uh, verse 3, which describes that Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Or Psalm 68, 29, or Psalm 72, 11, which says, All kings shall fall down before him, all nations shall serve him. Now it's prophecies like this from whence we get this notion that the Magi are kings. And we have songs like, We Three Kings. Uh, they aren't kings, they're just, you know, Magi. <laughs> Um, but we get this, uh, this sense from them. Oh, also, there probably weren't three of them. We, we say there were three of them because there are three different gifts that are presented. It could have been like 60 of them. We don't actually know what the number was. It just says these magi came from the east. Uh, it could have been two of them. I don't know. It could have been three. 
Anyway, uh, I digress. Uh, they recognize that this journey that they are taking is imperative because God is at work in the world. God is being revealed in the world, and they want to witness this. They've had this lore for so long, and they finally see in the stars it's all coming together. And while at first they stumble upon an earthly king, it is that very king who gives them the instruction to search diligently for this child. In order to find God revealed, their journey involves a search. And searching is important because, well, it ends up setting our priorities. If we're searching for something, it's easy to give up if we don't actually care about what we're searching for. You ever lost a penny and tore apart your entire house to find a penny? Unless it's one of those that's like worth, you know, a million dollars or something like that. I imagine it's not a big deal to lose a penny, right? So we're not going to go on that kind of search. But if it's something important, then we will pursue it no matter the cost. You ever lost a $100 bill? I've torn apart my house for something like that before. <laughs> it's a little bit different. We end up seeing the value of things in our search. Something also that is so powerful about that kind of search is we end up finding other things along the way. Things hidden in couch cushions we didn't know were there. Photos we had forgotten where we had stuck them. Maybe an extra $5 bill stuck in a pants pocket or something like that. We end up finding other things along the way that make the journey even more worth it. About this time last year, you might recall, I wasn't here. Uh, I was with uh, my wife and some friends in uh, Yosemite National Park. And uh, we were supposed to go skiing one day, but uh, the slopes were closed. And so uh, we ended up going on a hike. Uh, but here's the problem. There's a lot of snow in Yosemite. And so we couldn't actually get to the trailhead to start this hike. So we had to park in a different parking lot and start hiking from this parking lot to get to the trailhead. And this whole time, we're trying to follow a map that gets us to the trailhead so we can actually start the hike. We are walking from this parking lot to this trailhead, by the way, a drive that would have taken less than five minutes, for three hours. And I kid you not, there are pictures to prove it, snow above my knees on this hike. Eventually, we start to freak out because we haven't found the trailhead yet. And we can't even find the trail that we had started on anymore. And we don't actually know where we're going anymore because it's been three hours and we've been walking through, uh, you know, two and a half feet of snow. Eventually, we get lucky and we find a picnic table. And this was, this was all the relief in the world. So we end up sitting down at this picnic table just to take a break and we're trying to debate, all right, are we going to keep trying to find this trailhead or should we just walk back the way we came and get back to the parking lot? We had no idea where exactly we were. Again, everything's covered in snow. We just happened to see this, uh, this picnic table pe peeking out of it. We don't know where this is in relation to the trailhead, but that's what we've been searching for. Do we give up now, or do we keep pushing for it and you know, spend the rest of our day trying to find a trailhead that we're not actually going to hike on? And while we're sitting there eating the sandwiches that we had packed uh, on, on the to go on the trail, 
by the way, this was only supposed to take like two hours to begin with. We end up hearing this rumbling noise, this low sound, and it started to get closer and a little bit closer, and we're looking slightly down a hill, and slightly down a hill, we end up seeing that snow is flying upward. Now, that's a bit unusual. It gets a little bit closer, and we can start to see that snow is flying upward out of a little chute. It's a snow plow. Y'all, it's a snow plow. And it starts getting a little bit closer, and we start to realize wait, it's coming right for us. And so we take off running in two and a half feet of snow, which isn't easy to run through. We actually end up getting stuck right as the snow plow is coming right beside us and ends up burying us in more snow. But as it passes, it reveals the road. There it is, this road that we could have been following the whole time. We had no idea it was there. We had a way home. And uh, this, it's just so funny reflecting back on this, uh, back on this story because it was, it was just wild. We had actually lost all hope in our search because the place that we had come to was not the place we were looking for. In fact, the place we had come to, the only reason we were grateful for it was because it was a human structure and not another tree. And uh, we actually had something that we could focus on, but we had lost all hope and we didn't know what we were supposed to do. And so... This snowplow opening up a path reminded us of the importance of the journey, the importance of searching. It's reminded me personally of that passage later in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. The Magi's diligent search for Christ led them to find God revealed. And it wasn't an easy journey. Remember, they've traveled from Persia all the way to, Bethle- uh, to uh, Jerusalem. And then find out they've kind of gone a little bit too far and they've got to backtrack a little bit to Bethlehem now. But this would have been a life-altering journey. A world-changing journey. A journey that would have started their lives on a whole new track from here because they have encountered God revealed. New Year's Day, a day that we often mark as a day of new beginnings, a new life, or as it's often quoted on social media, New Year, New Me. New Year's Day is often classified by the commitments that we resolve to accomplish with this fresh start. We make resolutions like, and and these are the uh, top listed resolutions made in the US. Exercise more, eat healthier, lose weight, save more money, spend more time with family and friends, spend less time on social media, reduce stress at work, and reduce spending. And I think these are fairly worthwhile goals, honestly, but they are also things that we end up giving up on way too quickly. 90% of all New Year's resolutions are abandoned by the second week of January, as it were. 
Our pursuit of something, as we talked about previously, sets our priorities. And these things often don't take the kind of priority for us that we envision at the beginning of a new year. But I think the greatest commitment that we can make this year isn't going to be about exercise or eating right. It's not going to be about the way that we uh, spend or don't spend our money. I think that the greatest commitment that we can make this year is to seek out Christ. And so that's my challenge for us this day and going into this new year, is that if you're going to make any New Year's resolution, I encourage you to resolve to search diligently for Christ. Like the Magi, make this a priority. As Matthew says just a few chapters after this, seek and you will find. So let 2023 be all about God revealed in our lives. Let us start today. And let us pray.